Nimbus reached out to me and asked me if this would be something that I would be interested in writing as a response to I lost my talk. And it was such an honor for me to be asked that because of how much I honored Rita Jo and just the impact that she has had. She started talking about this stuff long before so many other people did. And like that took such bravery and strength. Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, author Rebecca Thomas. One of the marks of an advanced education system is the commitment to teach students at least one language in addition to their mother tongue. So, what should we call an education system that's mandated to eliminate the student's mother tongue and replace it with a different language? That was the real experience of children taken from their families on First Nations reserves and placed in residential schools across Canada. The late poet Rita Joe was a Mi'kmaq woman who survived that experience and captured it in a book entitled I Lost My Talk. It now has a companion, written by a woman whose father was part of Rita Joe's generation and who lost his talk. Rebecca Thomas's book is called I'm Finding My Talk. Rebecca Thomas, welcome to Book Me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You were born decades after the residential schools were closed, but how do you think your father's experience has affected your life? Well, actually, I was born while residential schools were still operating nationally because the last residential school closed in 1996 and I was born in 1986. So that's a little bit of um, a way in which to build your perspective when you think about the residential schooling uh, system in Canada. But um, you are correct in that the Shubenacadie Residential School region. yes, mm -hmm. had closed down for, for a couple of decades by the time I was born. But what about the lasting effects on your father and how, in a way, that was transmitted to your life. Absolutely. Um, there's this big gap between those who went to residential school and the generations that came after it, right? That, um, and that gap is a way in which um, the younger generations have had their culture taken from them or, or, or severed from the previous generation. As we were talking about earlier, that our learning styles are so intergenerational that you learn from not just your same age group, but you learn from your parents and your grandparents and you kind of go up and down that strata of generations. And when you take away that ability to connect with the older generation that has access to language, to culture, to teaching, all of a sudden you've lost that ability to really connect with those people. And so my dad, who went to residential school, whose first language was Mi'kmaq, uh, he left um, not speaking a word of his language, um, struggling in English because it really wasn't taught that well either. It was just something that you had to speak instead of your language. Um, and he lost his ability to really kind of learn how to connect and to love and to trust. And, um, you know, he told me once that he married the first woman who was kind to him because he didn't understand the difference between kindness and love. And so you can imagine an individual and generations of individuals as residential school had been around for 150 50 years, how that impacted your ability to connect to kids and to raise kids and to connect to culture and to build that sense of self-worth and value. So at what point did you start to feel, I guess, a sense of loss about not being able to communicate in the language of your Mi'kmaq ancestors? The more I learned about residential school and what had been taken from my dad, um, I didn't necessarily perceive a loss um, at first because I didn't recognize what was taken 
I didn't know my dad went to residential school for a very, very long time. I think I was 20 or 21 years old when I found out that that's where he went and learning about what residential schools were. Um, we never learned about it at all in high school. Uh, never, not once was it ever mentioned. It was only when I went to university that I start to hear those words and I had to figure out what they were. And it was this realization, like I felt as though I had been tricked for the first 20 years of my life that where I was and what I was doing was great and it was it was wonderful and I look at all the opportunities that I had um, and only to realize that like this was pre-designed so that I wouldn't feel like I've lost something, right? Um, and how effective residential schools were. And I, I remember just being really upset. Like what they took away from my dad, they also took away from me. They took away my chance to learn. And it was that realization probably in my um, very early 20s where that anger of and that indignance of feeling like somebody had pulled the wool over my eyes um, of what Canada was and what indigeneity was. And then once I kind of ha got through that anger piece, the the determination then to, to, I guess, to write and to say, well, you didn't get me. Like, I'm going to I'm going to come back from this. Um, that started to kick in. And that's what I've been working towards for the last well, 10, 12 years. How old were you when you first read Rita Joe's poem, I Lost My Talk? I was in my mid 20s. Um, I was, I think, in my the second year of my master's or third year of my master's degree. And um, I was just reading so much academic literature on the indigenous experience and residential schools and the impacts. And I was, I was saturated with that perspective. And I wanted to, to see something a little bit more emotional and firsthand and experiential. And that's when I started kind of looking around and I found um, Rita Joe's work. And I saw that poem in it and it resonated so much with me and how I tried to connect with my dad and what he was able to, to pass along, right? Because my dad is a, he's a funny guy in a lot of the ways in which he communicates or he'll say these strange things out of nowhere. And I don't know if it's... <laughs> he's a dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's and what dads do. <laughs> when I was younger, um, my dad struggled a lot with alcoholism. He drank. Um, and I have some, you know, really unpleasant memories of, of that time period. But then I also have these, these relics of that time that when my dad would kind of lead up to my birthday and say, you know, oh, I can't wait to see you. I'm going to see you. I'm going to, what do you want, child? Like, da, 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 da. And then the day of my birthday would come and, and it would be radio silence. I wouldn't hear from my dad at all. And then a couple of days later, I would get a, a letter in the mail. And it would be in his loopy handwriting. And it would say like weird things like, remember to save your toenail clippings for me. And these really kind of weird <laughs> things. Uh, and I still have those letters. And when I read them as an adult, I see like the overcompensating and the guilt um, and, and the desperate desire to connect with your kids, but you don't know how because you were never connected with as a child. Um, and over the years, we've kind of learned and talked and worked that out. But that's the loss. My talk, I saw that as this kind of connection where he was trying to teach me about him, but he didn't have the right words. So you already knew your ties to the Mi'kmaq heritage, language, and culture had been broken because of what had happened to your father. So what perspectives did Rita Joe's poem bring to you? 
it gave me understanding and empathy for my dad. I was so mad at him for so long, um, especially because my sister's birthday was in November and mine is in February. And so with the cycle of my dad's kind of drinking um, and depression and things like that, that he tended to drink more after Christmas and in those kind of like, what do they call them, the February blues or something like that. And I remember being really resentful and feeling that he loved my sister more than me because in the lead up to Christmas, he would, you know, be getting sober and he would, you know, be a part of Christmas and, and be a part of our lives and always be at her birthday, but never at mine. And I was so like saddened and so upset. And I just felt that he didn't love me as much or that something was wrong with me. And when I started to read her work and understanding what she had gone through and, and then knowing that my dad had gone through that same experience, I, I started to shift my perspective about him because I was no longer kind of angry with him, but more so understanding that he was doing his best to protect me from, from that, right? That um, I'd never seen my dad like drinking, um, but I had experienced like his absence or when he had left and things like that. Um, and so it was, it was a way in which to keep that away from me. So, you know, it was an ability to understand him from an empathetic perspective instead of one from anger. Could you read to us a bit of your book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is I'm Finding My Talk, and it was Nimbus reached out to me and asked me if this would be something that I would be interested in writing as a response to I Lost My Talk. And it was such an honor for me to be asked that because of how much I honored Rita Jo and just the impact that she has had. Um, she started talking about this stuff long before so many other people did, and like that took such bravery and strength. And so I wanted to honor that and also honor my father's experience um, to not tell a story that wasn't mine. So this is, I'm finding my talk. I'm finding my talk, the one I never had, the one that the schools took away from my dad. I'm finding my talk, one word at a time. Gwei, walalin, nmultis. Sometimes they are very old and sometimes they rhyme. I'm finding my talk when I'm up on the stage telling big stories or scribbling words on a page. I'm finding my talk. I'm meeting my family. I'm making new friends who choose to love me. I'm finding my talk with clumsy feet that pat down the grass with every drumbeat. I'm finding my talk with every bead. My regalia speaks through each stitch and seam. I'm finding my talk. It's in my smudge bowl. When the smoke curls around me, it makes me feel whole. You're the former poet laureate of Halifax. Correct. And a veteran of many poetry slams. Yes. Could this new edition of Rita Joe's I Lost My Talk, combined with your I'm Finding My Talk, introduce you to new audiences? I hope so. Um, I hope that it reaches out to folks who might not have um, a really good understanding of where we as Indigenous people come from. I think that often what gets taught is um, only one facet of history, right? And it can lead to a bunch of things um, like stereotypes and, and negative um, perspectives. I'm actually working on a talk right now that talks about the many ideas that Indigenous people have to carry at the same time. And one is a legislated identity through the Indian Act and status um, and the reserve system. And then the other one is a cultural identity um, through our practices and our language and kind of our resilience. And I'm hoping that a 
that this kind of work can help show more of that cultural identity. Because not once do I reference blood quantum, not once do I reference status or the Indian Act, right, that um, people's perception of indigeneity is so very narrow. And so I'm hoping that this can broaden people's understandings of what it means to be an indigenous person and what it means to be Mi'kmaq here in Mi'kmaq. These two books are, are accessible to children, as well, I would think. Yes. What kind of a conversation do you think or questions might they raise among someone that young who doesn't have that older perspective or sense or, or what, what they've learned about the actual history, of, say, of the, the legacy of the residential schools? I'm hoping that kids will be able to ask questions about why things are the way they are. Um, kids have great questions. I often think, though, that as adults, we don't give them enough credit. So um, when I've done things like this or similar performances um, with kids, they ask really um, insightful questions like, well, why did they have to cut their hair? Like, I have long hair. Why did those kids have to cut their hair? Or why were the nuns so mean to them? Why couldn't they talk the language that they've always known? And so I'm hoping it opens up that conversation to talk about what was done here in Canada so that um, these kids grow up with a, a sense of empathy and understanding for a history and for people that were here long before um, settlers came and that are still here. And so that, that curiosity and that desire to be... Um, treaty people and reconciliation and the much broader, bigger terms that we talk about starts at such a young age to realize that, oh, my story is not the only one. And so I'm hoping that kids can ask those questions um, to, to be curious and to learn about who we are. Kids seem to have that natural sense of what's fair and what's not. Yeah, or just kindness. Kids can be really kind. It's the cruelty that comes in later on when they've learned um, about things like to covet you know, what other people have and what is considered to be, you know, um, worthy of value and love. And all of that stuff gets taught later on so that we do create these silos of, of people. So I'm, I'm hoping that something like this can lessen that impact. Now, you mentioned in your book, uh, your Mi'kmaq is coming along one word at a time. Yes. Globally speaking, how's it coming along, the language? Oh, my gosh. It's such a complicated language. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever be fluent, but... Um, when I call my dad and we speak on the phone, um, keeping in mind that Mi'kmaq is his first language, that when I when I talk to him and I say, Gwei, and he'll say, like, hi, child, how are you? And I say, well, you know, like, I'm good, like, Madaolin, I'm fine, how are you? You know, so he's able to kind of respond in English. So some of the words are in there. And he gets the pronunciations way faster than I do because, again, like, that was his first language. When you go back to the muscle memory of when your lips and your tongue and your throat are trying to figure out how to form words, those were his first words. Um, and and so that's one of the cool things, you know, I'll say, you know, this dad, like, Gesalu, which is like, I'll see you later, dad, I love you. He'll answer back, like, Gesalu, I love you too. And so that's a really special thing that I'm learning for the first time. And he's kind of stirring these ancient memories that are in his brain. Now, Rita Joe's I Lost My Talk is out in a new edition, as I mentioned, uh, released at the same time as your I'm Finding My Talk, but both are linked by mm -hmm. the same illustrator, mm -hmm. Pauline Young. How did that collaboration come together? Um, Nimbus handled all of that side of things. I was very... Um, 
clear in that I wanted an indigenous artist. That was something that was really important to me, especially if you could get somebody who was Mi'kmaq, because this is a story about a Mi'kmaq legacy. Um, and the work that Pauline has made is incredible, um, especially when you look at the illustrations in my book, the illustrations of like my dad and my sister and all of those folks. Those are actual pictures of my family that I sent her and she illustrated them in. And so I have this kind of legacy of this really beautiful family album in this um in this book and it, it still doesn't feel like real like it feels i i don't feel like i've done it anything is, to deserve this honor it's real <laughs> like it's such it's such an honor i just want to to hold it with as much like care and respect and dignity as it deserves and i'm always worried that i'm not doing that <laughs> so i try very hard uh, maybe even over overcompensate rebecca thomas thank you very much for joining us on book me thank you so much for having me Rebecca Thomas is the author of Finding My Talk. It's published by Nimbus, and so is the new edition of Rita Joe's I Lost My Talk. Both are illustrated by Pauline Young. To hear more conversations with the people who create books in Atlantic Canada, go to bookmepodcast.ca. That's bookmepodcast.ca. And share the link with your friends and family or your book club pals, everyone you know who's a reader. We'd also love it if you could rate or review our podcast on iTunes or other download sites. If you'd like to comment on a podcast like this one with Rebecca Thomas, drop us a line. Our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. That's info at bookmepodcast.ca. BookMe is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. Thanks to the Halifax Central Library for the use of its studio. Our producer is Robin Grant, and Lynn Fox records and edits all our talks. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. Thank you.